If we read an article in the newspaper presenting two opposing viewpoints, we assume both have validity, and we think it would be wrong to shut one side down. But often, one side is represented only by a single expert. Neil, excited to do this episode today. Yeah, this is uh, combines a few of our favorite topics, science, media. People lying about things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the book we're talking about is Merchants of Doubt, How a Handful of Scientists Obscured the Truth on Issues from Tobacco Smoke to Global Warming. And the two authors, it's two authors, I guess, um, Naomi Oreskes, hopefully we're pronouncing that right, and Eric Conway are the two authors. So yeah, this combines like a few of our favorite topics. So science, um, objective science. Good science, bad Good science. science. Bad yeah, science. just come up a lot. Yeah. I think in other episodes. And media. Actually, yeah, and media. I was actually thinking a lot about the flood geologists yeah. in this one, right? Because it was like... I mean, we'll obviously go through the book linearly, but a lot of it is like people who kind of came in with a conclusion and then tried to find science to back that up. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I kind of was thinking a lot about the flood geologists that we've talked about during the Elon Musk Musk episode. episode, Yeah. And then on top of that, too, some of the stuff we've talked about around media manipulation and misinformation, right? Amusing ourselves to death kind of touches on it here. Or just also how like the media very often doesn't know like the right answer. Yeah. Right. Well, and how so many people don't know. Yeah. Well, right? definitely. especially how to yeah. interpret science and what to listen to and how certain factors in what gets published where can have a really big impact yeah. on public discourse and public opinion, which was a really strong underlying current throughout this book. And what the book does, which is pretty interesting, is it ties together a whole bunch of what became controversial and contentious issues in the public sphere, but that were not contentious issues in the scientific sphere over the last 60 years or so. And I think they published it in about 2007. I think so. Yeah. And it was the book started around 1950. Yeah. And so with they tobacco. Yeah. So it starts with tobacco, the strategic defense initiative, Star Wars under Reagan, acid rain, the hole in the ozone layer, uh, global warming, pesticides. Yeah, so DDT. DDT, yeah. I think those are the main ones. I think so. Yeah, yeah and it kind of goes through all of this. But one thing that was really interesting is that there actually were commonalities in the people yeah. who were actually perpetrating a lot of this stuff. Well, remarkable commonalities. It was basically yeah. the same four people who were behind so, all so of them. You know what's wild to me, actually, is that, and maybe it has been done, but I'm shocked the sugar industry hasn't used a lot of these same tactics yet. They have. Have they? Oh, yeah. Like, recently? Yeah, they, they've been. Using, Maybe I just don't doing... <laughs> read their type of media. Yeah, <laughs> they're using because I'm like no, because all the books that I see coming out and all like the pieces I see coming out are always like how sugar is bad and how we need to return to an ancestral diet and all these things as opposed to the other way around. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading all the wrong sources. <laughs> Maybe I've filtered my bubble. Well, yeah, I think you're you're in like a very biased yeah. infosphere, right? Yeah. Uh, also, I, mean, I don't look at like mainstream media unless it comes across Twitter somehow. Like, I don't follow any of the pages. I don't follow any of the pages on Facebook. I don't get the newspaper. So maybe I just don't see the sort. I don't watch news TV. So yeah, maybe I just totally am missing the mainstream view on this. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, they definitely have done it historically. I think they can't get away with it as much now. Kind of like tobacco. Yeah, right. Even if you tried it with tobacco If they tried it now, it'd be really hard. I've got a great ad in my Evernote somewhere. I'll see if I can find it to put it in the show notes for this. But it's an ad from, I want to say, the 80s of a woman eating like a spoonful of sugar and the ad is basically like have some sugar before your meal to like satisfy your appetite <laughs> right and the ad the ad was basically saying that if you eat some sugar you'll stay thinner because it will fill you up and you won't eat as much so i meant more of like 
Okay, so it seemed like the tobacco industry didn't really resort to a lot of these like doubt tactics mm-hmm. until there was a clear scientific consensus that like tobacco is bad for you. And it's the same thing for like all of these instances. So what I was thinking, what I was referring to more of is the like, now that there's sort of a mainstream consensus that like sugar is not good for you, I'm surprised they haven't tried injecting a lot of doubt into the system. Because uh, that seems more recent, right? Unless I yeah. was very late to the game. But it seems only like the last couple of years or a few years, well, not a couple of years, but probably like five to 10 years that people have widely been more uh, anti-sugar. I think that this, I think it's actually really similar to the tobacco example where the science has been pretty clear on that for a while. Yeah. But it's only gotten into the public sphere uh, more yeah. recently because we're overcoming a lot of the yeah. disinformation campaigns that the sugar industry created. Yeah. The biggest example of which is then paying all of those scientists to make it look like it was saturated fat right. creating all of these health issues instead of sugar. Right. right? Yeah. And yeah, I feel like that New York Times piece that really sort of blew the lid on how much disinformation there was around it. But prior to that, right, you go back 20 years and people wouldn't bat an eye at having pancakes and syrup for breakfast right, right? it's as like a normal or, or healthy, drinking orange juice right? right that's that's i think that's a perfect example yeah. people still think that's healthy right maybe not so much anymore well but, but we, we should also be clear yeah. right that when we say people or when i'm saying people i'm meaning like a general the general american person, the general right? person like yeah. nobody listening to this podcast is probably the average right. american right there's just like so many i think people who are not spending two hours of their day listening to two people talking about books right <laughs> it's, it's not like wait a, you mean we'll never have 300 million listeners <laughs> <laughs> probably probably not probably not, probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but hey it'd be awesome yeah it'd be awesome if people like books that much that'd exactly, be cool yeah Hopefully we're moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, but it'd be oh, yeah, cool to see this though. book updated to include the sugar stuff. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of it's in there too. Have you seen that documentary, That Sugar Movie, I think it's called? Mm-mm. I think that's the title. It's a little, it, obviously like every health documentary, yeah, it gets a little strong. <laughs> but it does a good job of going through a lot of the research defending sugar and where it came from. Yeah. And talking to some of the scientists behind it and how pretty much all of them were paid by coca-cola and other businesses like that in order to create research either saying that there was no link between sugar and obesity that's the big thing that they still argue is yeah. that oh you can't prove <laughs> right that sugar and diabetes sugar and obesity right which is a really common thread in this book yeah, too you see that a lot you're right there is doubt thrown into that and they do that you know to coke's credit they do also do this side of it but you would think probably the better way to combat this is just fund like a lot of like physical activity things which like, okay, you could be like, our product isn't necessarily good for you. But if you exercise, you can mitigate some of the risks, right? And like, they and they do brand themselves that way more and more lately. Like they bought like sports drinks companies, they've bought like water companies, and they've tried to like diversify their income a bit mm-hmm. out of just soda. But it's still not like, I think the majority of their income still comes from soda. And then I guess the Diet Coke stuff is probably a bigger part of their revenue, I'm guessing at this point. Diet Coke's not great for you, but... It's arguably worse for you. It's not good for you at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Haven't there been those, uh, again, studies, uh, I'm not sure mm-hmm. what shows what, but uh, especially after reading this book, because <laughs> it just depends who's pushing it. But the ones that show like Diet Coke makes you more hungry or something or satisfies you less than not drinking anything. Yeah. So there's definitely no benefit to weight loss to having artificial sugar instead of regular sugar. Okay. And there's possibly a negative What's effect. What's the reason for that? It's a couple things. Uh, one, as I understand it, is that when you have something sweet like that, but that doesn't actually have 
any calories it doesn't like satiate that so it just creates more of a psychological demand to like satiate it so you end up eating more other things instead the other problem with it is that especially as it relates to diabetes the taste of sweetener can still spike your blood sugar level but then the problem is so uh, i'm gonna mess up the science in this so people will need to go read it more if that's like a feedback but exactly it creates a bad feedback loop where what your body will do when it has something sweet is it will actually maybe it's not spiking so i think as i understand it it like drops your blood sugar level because it's expecting an influx of sugar Mm. right and then when that doesn't happen it's still dropped so it's trying to get it elsewhere right so you either like eat more makes you crave more right and the biggest problem too is that it doesn't fix the craving for sweet stuff right and so sure you're having a diet coke now but you're still going to want sweet things later right and then there's the whole issue oh this is the other part of it is the microbiome disruption Mm. so fake sugars like really screw up your gut bacteria yeah and if you have screwed up gut bacteria then you can you know either gain way more weight or just like get all kinds of intestinal issues right dietary issues um like all sorts of bad news. So other things that wouldn't create as many issues otherwise now end up being worse for you because you've kind of like destroyed the bacteria that are supposed to be helping you yeah. like so digest food more productively. Yeah. So it's like this compounding effect too yeah. over time. Um, cool. But yeah, and actually on that too, the whole fitness activity thing, it's kind of like this as well. Yeah. Because that's part of the sugar industry argument Yeah. also is that, oh, well, it's not sugar. It's that people are inactive. Right. It's that they're sitting at home and not like going out and doing things. So they need to go be active and then they can have all the sugar they want. Right. It's like, no, that's not true. Right. (laughs) I don't know if they say you can have all the sugar you want, but then they say it mitigates some of the effects. It's the implied argument. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's sort of similar to it was one of these where it was saying that, uh, oh, it's kind of like the sun plus volcanoes plus CO2. Right. Right. And the global temperatures. Right. Yeah. You could say like, oh, it's just the sun. And it's like, no, the sun is part of it. Right? Yeah. Like activity is part of it, but sugar is also part of right. it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's a probably bigger part of it yeah, than exactly. anything else. Right. It's like when they say diet and exercise, it's like diet 80%, exercise like 20% or right. you know, something in that neighborhood might be 25 and 75 or whatever. And that's but. probably some misinformation from the food industry too, that if you just exercise. Oh, it's like it's a 50-50 thing. Yeah. yeah it's not or really actually, it. or that it's like way more, right? About exercise. Yeah, that's yeah. way more about exercise. Well, they say like people with horrible diets actually will gain weight if they start working out because they'll be hungrier. They'll yeah. eat more, yeah. That was um, one of the criticisms that I think was pretty legitimate against Michelle Obama's whole like get out and play, you know, get more active thing yeah. was that they're there's some speculation she was actually influenced by the food and sugar industry right to focus more on exercise and less on diet although exercise helps like other things too like your mood and it does it has other benefits beyond like exercise is clearly not bad for you that's not what we're saying it's not bad for you but when half the country (laughs) is overweight right right it's like going out and walking 30 minutes a day isn't going to fix that it's a dietary issue yeah yeah it's definitely both but more a dietary issue yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um yeah, no, there's one other thing I wanted to say about that. Oh, okay, yeah, like kind of in the broad, like all of these things that are clearly bad for you. Mm-hmm. I think there's like two issues being discussed. And this is one thing I didn't like about the book. Like, I didn't think it did a good job of differentiating between the two issues. So I think there's like one issue is like the science. Like people should clearly be aware of like the risks of the things that they're doing. Yeah. If I know if I go eat cake, it's not good for me. Right. But like, I'll still eat cake sometimes. Right. Or like pizza. I love pizza. So like, I'm still gonna eat pizza sometimes, you know? Um, drinking's not good for me, but I drink, right? Like I occasionally smoke hookah, right? It's like, these things are not good for me. And I, the consumer should definitely be aware completely without any reservations that these things are not good for you. So the, if the science is like, that's what it shows. Yeah. Right. So that's like one issue is like hiding information from consumers. 
And I think they do a really good job of like emphasizing that here. What they don't necessarily do a good job of is like, I'm not sure what they're advocating for. Like, are they advocating for people should not be allowed to do these things? Or is it that they should just be aware of the risks of what they're doing? Because I'm in the second camp. I think you should be allowed to do it and you should have all the information, Yeah. but you should still be allowed to do it. If you want to like fuck yourself up or if you want to be obese and you know, and there's other reasons people are obese besides eating and not working out. But there are some, there are people who have some other issues behind that. Well, I, but I also think that that narrative is kind of dangerous too, because oh, that's yeah. like 0.1%. Right. It's so right? small. Right. But in case one of those people was listening, I don't want to like make it seem like, well, it's your fault. It's completely your fault. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people, it is their fault. Right. Um, but if somebody wants to make those conscious choices, like by all means, go for it. Right. It's your life. Yeah. But that, so I'm in that camp. I'm not in the camp of like, we should ban sugar or we should like, but I think you can tax these things to yeah. discourage them. Well, like we I, do with tobacco. I think like the tobacco is like a really good example of a lot of this stuff. It's like consumption's gone down. It's more expensive, but people can still do it if they want. Yeah, it's that's actually been like a crazy effective yeah. public media campaign. And it's a good right? balance between this freedom PR and campaign. public health. Yeah. Like you've been able to reduce consumption a lot. Everyone's aware that it's not good for you. Even if people who smoke know it's not good for them. Right. So there's not like hiding that anymore. But if someone still wants to choose to do it, they can still do it. Tobacco is kind of a weird one, though, because in moderation, yeah, it's not really any more dangerous, arguably like less dangerous than like alcohol. Oh, interesting. But the but the perception is perception so much worse, so much yeah. worse right? And you could even compare it to honestly to something like driving, mm. right? Yeah, yeah driving is freaking risky as hell. Yeah, like, driving is yeah. like extremely risky. You know, I love driving, but yeah, yeah it's, it's super risky. <laughs> between like driving for a decent part of your day and like smoking a couple cigarettes a day. It's hard to say which one is more likely to kill you first, right? right? But we think about things so differently, right? I don't know. I, I just find the tobacco thing so interesting, especially when you go to other countries. Yeah. You go to like Southeast Asia or actually even like Northeast Asia. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like Korea, yeah. everyone smokes. Japan, yeah. so many people smoke in Japan. China too, I've, I've heard. I've yeah. been there. Yeah, so um, many people smoke in China as Paris, well. Paris, that was the one thing I didn't like about Paris. Oh, people that, smoke everywhere? Yeah, I mean, you, you want to sit outside at the cafe and like, you know, have your wine or whatever and hang out, but then everyone around you is smoking. You just can't get away from it. I don't know if you remember in Pittsburgh or if this is true when you were there, like in Fi, did people smoke at oh, the time? yeah. Yeah, so I <laughs> went, and then now when you go back, not, there's no Fi anymore, obviously, mm. but um, people can't smoke in bars in Pittsburgh, I don't think it, yeah i think it's outlawed now. yeah although i feel like if i were still there people would still do it yeah <laughs> and like, if i oh, wouldn't care, yeah, if I wouldn't care. <laughs> well now those people uh, are like multi-millionaires r.i.p yeah they're doing really well they did really well they sold the building to oh, sure. uh to sold the school i think for like multiple millions of dollars yeah that was a prime piece of real estate <laughs> yeah like the closest restaurant to campus so yeah of course yeah. it's gonna be a chipotle now yeah. yeah it's a really nice chipotle too actually. oh really you've gone to yeah i was back there nice yeah all right we'll, we'll talk about this later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's gonna be in pittsburgh in uh april during carnival <laughs> during carnival hit this up but no, to, oh, to your point, an episode there that would be fun. That would actually be awesome. Yeah. A CMU edition, a CMU edition. <laughs> <laughs> we could read like Carnegie's biography or something. Oh, I actually read a really good biography about Andrew yeah. Carnegie. Yeah, we'll discuss this. We'll discuss offline, later. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> or we could just do the Gospel of Wealth. That's a pretty well, good. We could do that. One. That's pretty good. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. There's some potential here. Potential here. But no, to your point about like what was the argument? I felt like they did a good job summarizing some of it at the end yeah definitely right that, where the conclusion was really helpful the conclusion was really helpful because i had the same thought as you which was like okay this is kind of an interesting history but i don't know you know like what's the point like yeah. where are we going with this and where she gets to at the end i think is kind of interesting about how you know obviously like laissez-faire capitalism has its issues and most of these 
fights against environmental issues, health issues came from a desire to maintain perfect free markets. Because all of the guys who were fighting the science were Cold War veterans yeah. who had been, you know, like physicists who worked on the like nuclear bombs right. and were like leading the fight against you know, Soviet Union, communist Russia. And so they saw any injunction against free markets in the U.S. as a threat of communism spreading to the country. So even though they were scientists, if it was science or free markets, they wanted the free markets. Free markets yep. And that, I think that's actually a really good warning. Right. Oh, definitely. Because, and th there's clearly externalities in these things, right? Yeah. It's like, I mean, what what is it? The um, it's not the neighborhood effect, but that's a good way of thinking about. We it. We had neighborhood effect and uh, negative externalities. Yeah, right? but there's uh oh, tragedy of the commons. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And there's also I, I've seen like a good two by two grid of this. I don't remember the exact terminology, but. It's something like there's uh, private and profitable goods. There's like public profitable goods. There's like private unprofitable goods. And then there's like public unprofitable goods, which are like parks and, uh, you know, like the air and all of that. And that is the like one sector where the free market stuff doesn't work mm -hmm. because you can't really price the value of it. And nobody like nobody makes more money by keeping the air clean. Right. Yeah. Like there, there are exceptions to this. And. I don't know if this is in the thing we're reading for next week. I read it somewhere. Um, one of the like really effective things that was actually done to curb emissions by factories was some popular like newspaper or magazine started publishing a list of the 100 worst polluters in the uh, country. That's smart. Yeah, right? It kills your brand. It just exactly destroys your brand. And so that like dropped emissions at all those factories that made the list by something like 70% in one year. It's I insane. Like, I do like that one section too where she says, uh, or they say, I, I gotta stop doing that. So, yeah. I, she, I, I thought it was just her too. Yeah. I, I think he was maybe like helping with a lot of the research. Okay. I got the feeling that she wrote the book. Yeah, I got that sense too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, they were saying how what was it? I think it was like innovation, like the mother of innovation is like regulation in some mm -hmm. sense. Cause uh, they were talking about how that's like the, one of the biggest stressors you can put on the system essentially that forces people to figure it out, especially yeah. if it's regulation in the future. So you pass the law now, but it's like, Oh, in five years, this goes into effect. Right. People will like scramble and invest all these resources to solve the problem where in otherwise they might not never have made that investment. Yeah. I, one example of that that I heard recently that's perfect is in Japan, they passed a law that an MRI could not cost more than $100. Oh, interesting. So that's so worse. It, it already happened within a year. Like, oh, wow. I think People figured out. Was it Toshiba or Yamaha or like one of them figured out how to cut the cost of producing an MRI machine by 90% wow. so that like hospitals could do MRIs for in the like $80, $90 range in a year. You know what's funny though? That's like what we've talked about, I think on principles where we said, if you like set the goal you think you're going to set and then try to create a 10x version of that goal. Yeah. Because you can't use linear tactics to get to the 10x. Goal. Exactly. You have to figure something else out. Of, this is kind of the same thing, right? It's like if you have to take something that costs 1000 and make it cost 100 you can't do that in a linear fashion. Right. Like it's not going to happen. You can't do it by improving the existing thing. No, you have You're to basically sort of start, have to start from, scratch. from scratch. Yeah. Which is a really good way of forcing you to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Well, and it's like what we saw two days ago with, you know, the SpaceX launch. Yeah. Right? Maybe we should talk about that. That's, yeah. I, mean, well, that's all, I mean, that's just a perfect example <laughs> yeah. of that, right? It's like... I still think it's crazy that they got it on the first try, right? The only thing that went wrong was not relanding the third booster, mm. right? Like, that's insane. Yeah. And it's also insane that we now think of that as a failure, 
right? That's true. That has like not happened until <laughs> two years ago. No Com- rocket no had booster ever had that. ever relanded one, and now we like here uh, one of the three not landed, and we're like, <laughs> yeah. ah, you guys fucked up, right? Despite <laughs> the fact that they like got the launch right on the first try, yeah. put a car in space and relanded two of the boosters at the exact same time, which right? is absurd, badass. Yeah, <laughs> was so happy watching that, but. But yeah, okay, so back to the book. Back to the book. Oh, there's the SDI stuff also. We never talked about that. Oh, yeah, well, we, we've not really been doing a good linear job at all. No, so not even linear. I think we didn't even mention that, right? Oh, yeah, well, we should mention it. When we were first talking about it. Uh, Actually, wait, before we, before we leave cigarettes, okay, I think yeah. the last thing that's kind of interesting to mention here on that note is the whole Nazi aspect. Yeah. That the Nazis oh. figured out that cigarettes killed you, and so they banned them. Yeah. Like, Hitler would not let anyone smoke in his presence. You know what? So, especially at that time. Yeah. You know what's extra hilarious about that? There's this... Uh, someone sent me this, like, joke at one point. It's not really a joke, but it's more like an anecdote. It's like a surprising anecdote. Let's put it that way. They're like, person A, person B, and person C, right? And you're supposed to guess, like, who is who. And I think they mentioned that they were all, like, World War II leaders. So it was like... Person A, like, drank multiple scotches a day, smoked multiple cigars a day, and was obese. Person B... That's Churchill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Person B had, like, a long-term mistress in addition to his wife, drank, like, I think eight alcoholic beverages a day, and was a, like, two-pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> and then Person C was a non-smoker, non-drinker, and a vegetarian. Now pick the three, right? It's like Churchill, Roosevelt, and Hitler. (laughs) So the next part of the anecdote is like, moral of the story, don't be a vegetarian, don't be a non-smoker, don't be a non-drinker. Exactly. (laughs) The only way to beat the Nazis is if you smoke, drink, and eat meat. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, apparently the Nazis were pretty strict against smoking. You know what's funny, though? Peterson actually has talked about this, too. Well, yeah, apparently that was They have a strong disgust... uh, well, not not just the Nazis for Hitler. Yeah. yeah, Hitler had like a really strong disgust towards like so many things. Yeah, that was anything that was like dirty and dirty. His yeah, view, right. He's like a germaphobe, basically. Yeah. So, and that was part of his motivation for like genocide. Yeah. Basically, was right. that he thought certain people were dirty, dirty, right? yeah. diseased. And like you see that, I guess, in the terminology he used too, right? Like talking about, uh, I think, like pure. Like he talks about pure. Well, he would talk about like. Yeah, but, but he would actually talk about Jews and other races as, like, rats, mm-hmm. right? They were, like, an infestation. So I wonder if in his, in his mind those are, like, it's the same imagery, essentially, same yeah. circuitry that's being used. Well, it's kind of like, were we talking about that Black Mirror episode? We've talked about I think Which one? Yeah, the, the one where it's the military team. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah in yeah, Eastern Europe. turn them into, like, these zombies. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, well, they, they, give really. the, they give the soldiers, like, implants, yeah, so they yep. see the enemy combatants as, like, zombies, right? Yeah. It's the same strategy. Yeah, it is. Right? If you is. make your soldiers think that the enemy is like diseased right dirty then they're going to be way more comfortable killing them also that was a total tangent but yeah Yeah. back to what you were saying about the nazis figuring out (laughs) smoking that was part of why (laughs) smoking lasted a little bit longer than it would have otherwise because yeah right and after germany lost and like anything associated with nazis was bad and so all the research they did on smoking's harms were sort of ignored yeah right because nobody wanted to use Nazi research for some good reasons. I didn't quite buy that though, because we did use like their rocket research and we used some of their scientists and like. Well, that was kind of the awkward thing about it was that you know like they did all these really horrible things and they did really horrible things to get this scientific research, but it was also a lot of research that had never been done right, before. Exactly. Yeah. And then nobody wanted to use it because right. it's like, well, we can't you know endorse this, but then it's also like you kind of needed some of it. Yeah. Right. Or it could be really useful. It could be really for, useful. Yeah. So like, I think the really kind of fucked up example of that is something with frostbite. 
Okay. No, I'm not familiar with this example. I think it's frostbite. Yeah, where they would basically like leave people in the camps out so that they would like get frostbite. And then they would just like do experiments on them to see what happened when you got frostbite. And they like recorded all of that research. And I think that actually like ended up getting kept and used in medicine right around the yeah, world. It's like, well, when would you get the ability to do that? Like, exactly. Completely unethical experiment. Yeah. It's like a atrocious thing yeah. to do. <laughs> but then it's also like, well, if we have the data, right? Right. You might as well. I mean, the thing is, no one's condoning you should do yeah, these experiments. Yeah, obviously, nobody should do this. But it's like a big problem in science. But if you have it, you might yeah. as well use it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, it's a, but that's like a hard you probably question. save other people's lives by exactly. using it. Yeah. And the experiment's already been done. They're not, you wouldn't have to do the experiment again. Right. Well, it's kind of like a problem that comes up in this book a lot, right? Is that we can't do studies for a lot of these things, right? right? You can't take a thousand people and give them two packs of cigarettes a day right. and see what happens, right? <laughs> like it's not going to fly. Yeah. So and that's where a lot of the science gets shaped. And the same thing with like diet too. It's like, there's so many factors that go into it right. that you can always cast doubt on something that that's why like there's a such thing as epidemiology. Yeah. Right. Is that like, there are too many variables, but you can kind of see these correlations. Of course, correlation is not always causation, but there is very likely a link in yeah. some things, right? Well, so One of the things I didn't know as much about before reading this that was kind of cool to learn was the piece in epidemiology about effect size, where one of the best yeah. ways to show that there is um, more causation yeah, is yeah, just... Yeah, a section on that. Like, yeah, I think with the Japan study, right, where they talked about how there was this big study done in Japan with some 540 families, and there was basically a linear relationship between the amount the husband smoked and the amount of... or the likelihood of cancer for the woman yeah and this was for secondhand smoke yeah for secondhand smoking yeah. it was like regardless of if the wife smoked or not the more the husband smoked the more likely she was to get lung cancer yeah it was like pretty crazy yeah uh but i guess effects like that where there is some relationship between you know quantity of one and quantity of the other help right. whereas Definitely. if it's just like oh smoking and lung cancer that's one thing but if it's like you've got that relationship that helps show that there is actually something, something going on there that. and also like the whole causation versus correlation thing is kind of silly sometimes yeah. because it's not like cancer causes smoking right right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like there are some cases where like okay yeah we can wonder about the causal arrow but there's obviously this others not where, the yeah. instance where that would be the case it's not yeah. like the hole in the ozone causes pollution right right yeah. like come on <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous so there is a little more that you could say around that for like climate change, though, because yeah, you could that's, say that's like one of the hard ones. It's also such a complex system. Ones. Yeah, it's hard. It's a harder one because it's like. So what's the other argument that solar energy increased? Yeah, that was one right. of the arguments that the sun's energy output went up and that was part of why it got warmer. Yeah. Over that period, which was true. Yeah. But it was only but it's part. also again, it's like the diet and exercise thing. It's like. Okay, that might be 10% of the, the yeah. equation, but like, what about this other 90%? Well, it actually brings up something we were talking about at the beginning or before we started recording with uh, Peterson's interview on Channel 4. Ah, yeah. Where he would say something was a like multivariate problem where there were a bunch of causes for why something happened. And then the interviewer would just pick one, one. of them and yeah. say, like, So what you're saying is this yeah. is the reason. <laughs> like, it's what? like, No, I'm saying all of these things are the reason, right? So the scientists are saying, Well, it's the sun, it's the volcanoes, it's the CO2. Yeah. And then the counter people would say like, oh, well, the sun just went up in this much energy. Therefore, it's the sun. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, no, it's like the sun is part of it. But there's these other parts, too. But it's a really easy and lazy argument to just like argument like, tactic oh, to be like, oh, so what you're saying is it, the sun caused it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, like, yes, but I actually find Taleb's argument on global warming to be very, um, at least for me, something I resonate with, uh, which is like you don't just look at like 
the problem. You look at the magnitude of the problem of not doing something about it. Mm-hmm. He says the same thing about GMOs. And he's like, he's toned down a bit on GMOs, but he used to be like, at least on Twitter, he used to be always railing about GMO, yeah. which is basically his point is like the risk of being wrong on something like this is so high. Let's say there's a 70% probability that it's like human caused emissions like i don't even know what the probability is right even if it's a 10 percent probability that it's caused by humans you can at least do something about that right you can't do anything about this let's say the sun is heating up or for or, you know there's more solar energy you're not gonna at least right now we don't have the technology to like control how much energy that the sun outputs yeah elon musk get going on that i was gonna say we need a space yeah. mirror yeah <laughs> you <laughs> see that episode of futurama no, I haven't. <laughs> the like sun starts heating up or something, and they need to dissipate some energy, so they launch a giant mirror into space oh, to reflect it. Oh, it's next SpaceX project next week, and then a very small <laughs> asteroid hits the mirror, oh. and it tilts down, and just starts burning people alive oh, across the Earth. Anyway, go on. Okay, maybe Elon Musk. Yeah, maybe don't put up a space mirror. Um, but yeah, so Celeb is like, let's say it's a ten percent. I don't know what probability percentage he used, but like, yeah. whatever you think the probability is, the magnitude of the problem is so large that it's still worth trying to do what you can about that problem yeah so it's the same thing with gmos it's like most likely probably not a big deal right but if there's a non-zero chance of it being a like essentially making agriculture super super fragile maybe it's worth at least paying attention to that and trying to maybe create some species diversity i find it to be an effective argument because you can kind of blend both sides you can say okay yeah there is doubt like you're right there is doubt it's not 100 percent probability that it's human caused right you know, like it, so you satisfy that side and then the other side is like, well, you're most likely right. It's probably human caused. So now let's blend the two together. And let's do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why that argument isn't used more. Maybe, maybe it is. It's just not as effective as I think it would be. You probably make both sides unhappy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right. Maybe that's the problem. You validate it... the other side's argument. Exactly. Nobody wants the other side to get <laughs> <Yeah>. any validation. <laughs> maybe the people who deny it are like, well, you're saying it's most likely true, so we're not going to talk yeah, with not, you. And they're going to say, like, oh, well, you're not taking it seriously yeah. enough, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe you make everybody mad. Because it is hard sometimes when people get just too militant about yeah. any issue, whatever it is, yeah. right? It's just kind of hard to take it seriously or trust it anymore. Right. Right. And so you need, like, somewhat more reasoned approach to it. But then the problem is kind of like what comes up again and again in this book is that the good scientists and, you know, the more rational thinkers about things are the ones who know to inject doubt into all of it. Right. And they say this about scientists in particular is that they don't focus on what they know. They focus on what they don't know. Yeah. And so in all of their articles and their research papers, they're saying, well, here is where we're not sure about things, but then, and that's like good science, which is what you're supposed supposed to do. do. Exactly. (laughs) But then they're saying, well, these are the parts we're not sure about. And then journalists and stuff will take that and say, Oh, scientists aren't sure about global warming. And it's like, well, no, that's not what we said, but nobody's going to read, you know, nature magazine over the New York times. Yeah. And so these questions of what's true get way more press than the actual science itself. Yeah. And most people are not you know, savvy consumers of scientific research. They can't go on no, you know, they PubMed at, and look up an article. Exactly. Right? They just look at the article, not the scientific article, right. but the, the newspaper article, article or, yeah. you know, the BuzzFeed post. Yeah. Or, like they go to crack.com and it's like five <laughs> reasons global warming might be a hoax. Right. right? Yeah. It's like it's just people like, doing clickbait. Yeah. yeah. So um, I also found uh, the other thing that was really interesting, completely switching gears and talking about the strategic defense. Oh, yeah. We need to get to Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So um, for those who aren't familiar, that was an idea or is an idea, I guess, because the idea still exists is that you can use a system of satellites, essentially, to shoot down nuclear warheads that are inbound to the United States, or I guess it could be used anywhere, but into the United States. And this was being pushed by the Reagan administration. 
So there's kind of multiple views on this. One view, which wasn't talked about too much in the book, but that I'd heard before, is that it was never supposed to be like a serious idea, but it was meant to bankrupt the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah. To make them like freak out about it and start spending a ton more money that we knew that they didn't have to sort of accelerate their demise. If that's true, I buy it a lot more. Like, I think that would be actually a like, cool strategy. Mm-hmm. The second one, which is the more likely scenario, is that it was a serious scientific proposal, but also a very dangerous one. So there's a book called Command and Control, which would be a really cool podcast episode for us to do. Uh, Basically about the history of nuclear weapons, both from the U.S. standpoint and the Soviet standpoint. Mm -hmm. And in that, they talk about a lot of like the game theory stuff that not necessarily is true game theory, but is what people believed it to be. Right. So on both sides. So what like how the Americans viewed the Soviet moves and how the Soviets viewed the American moves. And SDI is actually like kind of surprised, actually, in hindsight, nothing like it didn't cause a nuclear war because one of the premises both sides were operating under and like across the board was that if a strike becomes imminent, you are supposed to strike first because otherwise all of their strikes may essentially make you not be able to launch something in retaliation. So if it becomes at all likely that you're about to be hit, you're supposed to launch all of your, like you're supposed to do a full scale attack at that point. So okay. that's a mutually assured destruction right. argument, right? So that led to the development of nuclear submarines because the idea was like you wouldn't be able to find all of them. So you'd still have some left over. So it creates this uncertainty. But SDI, in theory, if it worked at 100% effectiveness, which nothing ever does, but let's say it was 100% effectiveness, the Soviets could argue that, like, okay, the minute that thing is functional, we're not going to know when that is. Maybe it's already about to be functional, right? Mm-hmm. Now the U.S. can launch a first strike with impunity. Mm. So we should preempt that by launching a first strike. And in command and control, they actually said that was a Soviet argument. There were pe- there were elements in the Soviet military that were arguing for that as soon as SDI was announced. That they were like, okay, we now we need to strike because as soon as that's completed, we can't. Like, we're going to be hit immediately as soon as that's functional. So, uh, yeah, command and control took a very negative view of SDI. Like, they said that should never have been talked about, even if they were working on it, because, like, they think it could have caused a nuclear war. Like, if those elements in the Soviet military had won out. Right. Which is absurd. Well, yeah. it's crazy. It's yeah. Good thing it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wouldn't be here. So. Yeah. Well, but I just think that it's amazing that, you know, this idea got so far. Yeah. Right? That I mean, it's a sexy idea. It is a sexy idea. It's like, hey, we're going to put satellites up in space that, that can, can shoot, shoot down missiles. Yeah. Like, that sounds awesome. Make us immune. To yeah, make us immune. Like, yeah, awesome. an effective missile shield. Like, that's cool. Yeah. But, I mean, there's this great quotation in yeah, here. Yeah, the 90% effectiveness thing. Well, there's that. But then there's also something like, let me see if I can find it here. So, uh, 6,500 scientists had signed the petition against SDI. And the Marshall Institute consisted of Robert Jastrow and two colleagues. Right. So 6,500. So three people three, arguing yeah. for it against 6,500 other scientists. Yeah. And all those scientists who were like led by Carl Sagan were saying, this is a terrible idea and it's not going to work. And these three guys could just like push it through and get it to the White House where we actually started putting money into this thing. Um, but yeah, the 90% effectiveness thing is pretty terrifying too. If you want to read that quotation. Yeah. So basically said... Um, No weapon system, indeed no technological system, is ever perfect, and an imperfect defense against nuclear weapons is worse than worthless. It's a matter of arithmetic. If strategic defense is 90% effective, then 10% of the warheads still get through. The Soviets had an arsenal of about 2,000 ballistic missiles capable of delivering over 8,000 warheads, 10% of which would more than suffice to destroy a nation. SDI would fuel the arms race, not stop it. 
And then I love that to test, to properly <laughs> yeah. test SDI, we'd have to shoot a substantial fraction of our own missile inventory at ourselves. Yeah, that was the funniest that part. It's like, great. how did nobody think of that, right? It's like, how, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, what part of the book was Richard Feynman brought up? Was uh, that SDI? Oh. Hold on, I'm going to pull it up because I'd, I'd highlighted it. It was, I want to say it was during the SDI time. Oh, yeah. So Freeman Dyson and Richard Feynman ended up being on the the other side as well being against it no no being oh being for it well they weren't really for it they were skeptical of the nuclear winter model that was being used oh because they said it was not complex enough because uh dyson in particular he even um did you read that section or mm-hmm. have you read much about freeman dyson i don't know much about dyson okay but... so he was really interesting because he was one of the first people to ever talk about global warming oh, okay. like the early 70s he was bringing it up but then he's also been like one of the most critical people against climate models hmm. that have been used because he's just like not these are not accurate and he's also like an incredible physicist so yeah i don't know when i saw the dyson and Feynman were on the other side too I was like hmm that's interesting because Feynman's not a dummy (laughs) yeah well I mean it sounds like it was just related to the nuclear winter thing though yes it was just related to the nuclear winter thing yeah I think that was the that was like a conflated issue too because it was like nuclear winter it got conflated also with like climate change right because it was like the same models being used or the same base models being used to like model the climate yeah because that's like there was some alarmism in the nuclear winter hypothesis too. And I think that's part of what they were being critical of as well was like Carl Sagan. That's the thing with scientists, right? Is like any scientist is like very much focused on like accuracy of the whole thing. Right. The scientist mind is uh, sort of like built. I mean, you can say the word built, even though it's not really built, but built to like find the areas that are still in question and focus on that because that's like what being a scientist is all about. But not like they would still do that even if 99% of it's correct, but like 1% of it's wrong, right? So like a scientist would focus on that 1%. So when Feynman is criticizing, you know, something of this model, it might be like it's 99% accurate, but there's 1% he disagrees with. And it's like, I wouldn't have used that variable here. Right, right. <laughs> right? And like, but it could still be valid. It could still be valid in the aggregate, yeah, just right? Perfect. But, or yeah. Room for improvement. Yeah. And I think the authors bring up a really good point in this book that like scientists are not necessarily good at understanding the public policy debate. Yeah. Right. It's like a very different world. Well, that's like that comes up so often. That's this whole book, book basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that you've got scientists on one side and you've got people who get the whole public policy side on the other. Yeah. And the people who get policy and media can just warp it so much better than the scientists because yeah. the scientists won't. Because another problem that came up was this issue where scientists don't want to uh, like take credit for other people's ideas. And so a lot of scientists won't want to get up and talk about global warming and stuff because they feel like then they're seeking attention for work mm-hmm. that other people did or things like that. And so that created an issue where people wouldn't be as outspoken in favor of the scientific literature as people would be against it. Yeah. All right. Okay. You want to talk about the ozone layer stuff? SDI. So, CFCs? Yeah. I guess we finish SDI and we move into the CFCs and the ozone layer. I love going back to what you were saying earlier about mm-hmm. how it's like usually multiple factors, but obviously weighed very differently. But then the public debate is like worded in a way that they're all kind of given equal weight. So CFCs were sort of found to um, not sort of they were found to exasperate the hole in the ozone layer right. and through a reaction that was happening in the atmosphere. So the way they were sh- I know, giving doubt on this is like, well, CFCs come from many different sources. And so some people would say, oh, this is could be the space shuttles, right, that are like causing yeah. this because they were using CFCs in the rocket fuel, basically, I think, right? Or in the propellant. Yeah, something like It that. was in the propellant that was being used. 
So the quote from the book is like, billions of pounds of CFCs were produced every year for use in spray cans, air conditioners, and refrigerators. In comparison, the four shuttles which had gone through the atmosphere, the exhaust would be utterly trivial. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, not billions (laughs) of pounds in a space shuttle, that's for sure. (laughs) But they were trying, like, the public debate was trying to, like, equate the two. Right. That it's the same. Oh, it's like 50-50. Yeah, exactly. So if we're going to stop this in our refrigerators, we should also stop the space shuttles. Yeah. Well, that's something that Musk has said about rockets too Mm. where he's like we should definitely stop using gasoline and oil for cars and you know those domestic activities but we're probably never going to have an electric space shuttle right he's talked about electric planes before yeah electric planes that you heard him talk about that it's so cool when he breaks it down he was at some conference where he was talking about they were like oh is an electric plane next and uh yeah, he said something about how it actually makes more sense to have an electric plane. The hard part is getting like up. Oh, but, like okay. once you're up, it's a lot easier for it to actually run on electricity. Because I think, especially once you're above clouds, you know, you can generate a lot from solar. And then there's also a lot of uh, it's, like winds are really high up there too. Right. So you know, you could probably create like propellers that are generating electricity. And um, but he's saying the hard part would be getting up. Yeah. You might still need to use fossil fuels for that. Hmm. They're saying it makes a lot of sense to at some day have some portion of power being generated via renewable if, sources. I wonder if there's any like feasibility or sense to having like constantly orbiting solar planes. Oh, interesting. And then you just have basically like launch vehicles on the ground that just take you up to the plane and come back. Oh, yeah. So right. Yeah. I don't know if that even like makes sense no, but uh, in terms of energy, is that, but is that the whole space elevator idea? I don't know a ton about it, but I've heard the term space elevator and I always found it to be really interesting, but I don't know what it is. As I understood the space elevator thing, it was literally an elevator that just takes you up where you would have something in orbit that, you know, is in geosynchronous orbit with the earth. And then you would basically just construct like an elevator structure oh, between wow. the earth and that. But I think it's pretty much been discredited. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not really a thing. Yeah. I think just such a cool idea to work on it would be like so insane that we wouldn't be able to build something strong enough oh, to yeah. do it. I'm not 100% sure on the specifics. Maybe using spider silk. Yeah, exactly. Like. We need some graphene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a cool idea, though. Cool idea. Yeah. It might not be possible. We'll have to look into the electric planes. <laughs> or someone can tweet that to us. Yeah, exactly. I love all the <laughs> tweets we've been getting lately. Actually. Yeah. We're getting more tweets. It's awesome. Nice. Makes me happy. <laughs> We get good recs too from that. Good book recommendations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If anybody does have book recommendations, definitely send us a message on Twitter or respond to the email newsletter and let us know. Or if there's things that we're like completely missing, like if things that are not even our sphere of like view at this point, like, you know, right now we're looking at media, science, psychology, philosophy, biology. We got a pretty good. Mix. Yeah. But wondering, is there something we're just like not seeing, not at, seeing all? at all? Yeah. Because we obviously live in our own bubbles, as it's I true. very clearly found out at the beginning of this, <laughs> at the beginning of this episode. I'm like, yeah, I don't see anything about sugar being good. <laughs> and that's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're <laughs> the right audience for this. <laughs> so one of the thing that's here in the CFCs, or I guess the ozone section, it touches on what we've spoken of before is uh, this guy Singer who comes up pretty much throughout the whole book. Yeah. One of the tactics they used to fight against fears about the ozone layer hole was saying that there's a lot of different causes of skin cancer. Therefore, we don't need to worry about this. So he's saying that it could come from like viruses, genetics, environmental carcinogens, population shifts to the sunbelt, changes in lifestyle, more detection of cancer, and even diet, right? And None of which is wrong. No, yeah, it's all true, but it doesn't mean yes, that the ozone exactly. hole is not an issue, right? <laughs> right? And I feel like the biggest thing to take away from this book is learning how to notice this stuff when it's said, 
right? Because it's not easy to immediately catch it when people say things that are kind of nar- or like warping the narrative in this way. Yeah. But if you learn to listen to it a little bit better, I think you start to catch it, right? Where he's, you know, he's saying that because these other things cause skin cancer, this thing is not a concern. And it's like, well, no, it's still a concern, just like environmental carcinogens are a concern. And we don't we don't want to not remove them just because people will still get cancer. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like Well, it's like if somebody gives you ten reasons, you're for whatever reason our brains automatically assign equal weight to those ten reasons, but it could be like one reason is ninety nine percent. Yeah. And then the other nine are like point one percent each. Right, something. right. We think everything is important. Yeah. It's sort of like in equal uh, in equal numbers if they're presented equally. Yeah. Right. It's like if I just give you ten like why is skin cancer happening? I give you ten reasons, you're probably like, Okay, well, they all contribute. But it could be like one is contributing completely. Yeah. Yeah. One sort of tangential example of that that I see a lot is this fascination on the habits and lifestyles of very successful people. Yeah. Right. And it's like most of those things are maybe 1% yeah. of, you know, why they can do what they do. And people fixate on that thinking it's like just as important as, you know, what they're working on. Right. Right. It's <laughs> like, no, it's not how the math checks out. <laughs> yeah. But it's easy to like get, you know, sucked in by one variable over another, depending on how all of it's presented yeah, together. Exactly. I-, I love this story about, uh, and I guess this goes back to cigarettes. They all kind of weave in and out of each other. Yeah. Well, they are so related in terms of even the narrative, like the people. Yeah. The involved. same people are yeah. fighting against it and the same tactics are being used. But <laughs> when the industry found out that secondhand smoke caused more cancer, one of their solutions was to try to create cigarettes that showed less smoke to make yeah. smoke less visible <laughs> so that people wouldn't think they were like poisoning their friends and children. How does that work with uh, like e-cigarettes? There's not really any smoke right yeah there's none of so the, there's no secondhand yeah or, or is that vapor. true i don't know i mean it's vapor yeah does the vapor contain any carcinogens it shouldn't it's just the nicotine so is that a industry narrative that they've made us believe yeah, yeah that's the question right this is like i haven't seen many studies on it it's still bad for you yeah I, well because... i'm wondering for the person smoking okay sure yes yeah. i believe yeah. that for secondhand i'm wondering for secondhand because people just like are walking around and like yeah you see this big puff of vapor come out the people with the e-hookahs those are really crazy where's that those are the like the bigger ones right where it's like a little case okay. and then like the pipe coming out of it like the ones that look about the size of a cigarette right those are like the e-cigs okay. and then there's the e-hookahs okay which are like the bigger ones when you see somebody let out just like a dragon amount of smoke yeah that's, that's usually I, the e-hookah okay because that happens when you're just walking around and you'll just see like yeah dragon amount of smoke yeah <laughs> like, like, whoa where did that come from yeah. <laughs> i feel like i mean it's definitely way less bad yes, secondhand right but i wonder if there's still some concerns yeah i, I don't know i haven't yeah. done any research on that because i guess it's not smoke it's vapor but i feel like even vapor could i don't know yeah we'd have yeah, to look I it up no idea the research might not exist too it's right fairly new yeah that's true i mean they didn't get mainstream popular to like maybe the last five years maybe yeah yeah really last two or three years one thing I do think is crazy with them is that they can advertise. Oh, yeah. Because they're not tobacco companies. But they so. are tobacco companies, right? Or like, so there's no tobacco. There's no that. tobacco. Okay, it's just nicotine. It's just nicotine and vapor. Okay, right? interesting. So that's why you see ads for them on like cabs and walls and huh. like everywhere is that they can advertise even though cigarette companies cannot. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Which I think is part of why they've been able to do so well or why they've grown so quickly really is that it's got this perception of it being harmless and they can advertise. Well, I know nicotine by itself is not nearly as bad as... Uh, yeah, it's actually a fairly harmless chemical. Yeah, like, relative to like what other... I mean, it's not, like, I don't think it's, it's exactly harmless. harmless, but it's like definitely addicting. It's like caffeine or aspirin. Yeah, just like caffeine is yeah. addicting in the same way. Yeah. So it's not nearly as bad as like smoking. Right. It's interesting. Maybe, I mean, 
if that's the case, like let's say the vapors don't have any carcinogens or anything, then I can see why they're allowed to advertise because like alcohol companies can advertise. They advertise a ton. Right, right. Right? So like I would actually argue alcohol is probably worse if there are no carcinogens in... I guess alcohol doesn't have any secondhand Yeah, well, it does drunk driving. It does, exactly. Well, that I think it could be very easily curbed, which is, well, two things. And this is probably against something that says in the book, but I think self-driving cars actually will go a long way towards reducing that, Yeah, obviously. And accidents in general, not just drunk driving. And then also, I don't understand why we don't have a zero tolerance policy here. We only have it if you're underage. Uh, so you lose your license if you're under 21 and caught drunk driving. Mm-hmm. But if you're over 21 and you're caught drunk driving, and drunk driving, our definition of drunk driving is very different than Europe. Okay. Like Europe, if you're caught with like 0.1%, like not 0.1, but like any alcohol in your system and you're driving, mm-hmm. that counts as drunk driving. Oh, and you have a zero tolerance policy. Absolutely zero tolerance. Wow. You can't go have a beer and then drive home. Huh. So there's no drinking and driving whatsoever. I mean, not saying they don't still have it. I'm sure they still have drunk driving. Right. But not on the same scale. No, and people are very scared of it. Like they don't do it. Yeah. Which is the rational. Which is, you would think, like, makes sense. think about it. Yeah. Because yeah. it actually is. That seems crazy. like it would curb a lot of the issues. Yeah. Right. It's just like if you know it's a zero tolerance policy, because right now I feel like you can talk yourself into being like, okay, yeah, I'm like a bigger person. So if I just have like, if I have like three beer, drinks, I'm yeah, probably still it's okay. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But like it probably is a big deal. And any alcohol does impair your ability to drive for sure. Right. And it's actually crazy that you can have up to what, 0.7? I think it's something like that, 0.6, 0.7. Significant amount. If you've ever had a uh, breath thing to test it. Yeah, I haven't actually. uh, We had one in college just for fun. Oh, nice. (laughs) Like when you're at about that level where you're right on the line, you feel. You feel tipsy. Tipsy, yeah. And that would be like a scary level to have people driving around at. But then that's totally legal. But it's totally legal. Yeah, which is crazy. crazy. So I wonder how that is legal. Maybe it's just lobbying from the alcohol. Yeah, I wonder if it's that or I don't know why. I mean, I'm also wondering. um, I mean, people are some really, really stupid people out there. Because it's like when you see like a professional athlete get in trouble for drunk driving, it's like. You make literally millions of dollars a year. You can afford a cab. Yeah. Or a driver. And I'm sure you have friends who would gladly give you a ride Yeah, if you ask them for a ride. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like boggles my mind that it happens so much. But I think there's two very easy. Well, self-driving cars are less easy. But like the very easy policy thing would just be to have a zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. Yeah. I don't know why that hasn't been a big push. I feel like those things are so hard to get through, get through like in the U.S. That seems like a bipartisan thing. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it didn't happen in Europe until very recently. Oh, okay. So the UK, and uh, I know in the UK, I think they got it a couple, like, I want to say they did it before Europe, but then Europe, because um, I guess the UK is less of a driving culture in general. Yeah, it's a very American thing. Yeah, and then, but Europe, like Germany in particular, is a driving culture for sure. Right. And it's more spread out. Like Germany in a lot of ways is set up kind of like the US. It's maybe not They've as got more space. Yeah. yeah. But I know it was a fight in Europe to make that happen, but they did, so... I mean, I don't know what the stats have been, like how much it reduced drunk driving, but I would imagine it's a, just anecdotally whenever I go over to the UK, like when I went to Scotland, I was with uh, my uncle who lives there and uh, and his wife, mm-hmm. and they were like, only one of them was going to drink when we were going out to distilleries because it was just like, it wasn't worth even risking at all. Like even if you had it and waited like an hour, yeah. you still don't know exactly. It's not worth the risk. Yeah. I think yeah. they've just societally, they've talked about it a lot, even though we have a way bigger problem than they ever did with drunk driving. So, yeah, that seems like that one should be solvable in our lifetime, I hope. Hopefully. Self-driving cars. Uber's definitely done a lot for producing so. it, too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Where there's no taxi system. And so people would drink and drive all the time. Yeah. It was just like the only way you got home there. Unless yeah. you wanted to, you know, wait an hour and a half for <laughs> a yellow cab to show up. 
<laughs> or so, walk or like, walk three yeah. four miles walk back from south side back to campus <laughs> yeah. right like people yeah i feel like that was just the norm and then uber came in and like pittsburgh's like the perfect city for uber yeah terrible public transit terrible cab system but then really spread out and it's like all the little boroughs and stuff yeah right not so, that walkable of a city not very walkable unless you live you know right in the middle of downtown yeah downtown downtown <laughs> <laughs> little pittsburgh shout out there yep all right back all right. to this yeah. ozone layer check i love that and this goes back into tobacco tobacco kind of weaves in and out throughout the whole story yeah um they had a book for fighting journalists in the media on the science right this yeah, bad science bad book science one. the way they describe it is a resource book that was a how-to handbook for fact fighters it contained over 200 pages of snappy quotes and reprinted editorials articles and op-ed pieces that challenged the authority and integrity of science building to a crescendo in the attack on the epa's work on secondhand smoke it also included a list of experts with scientific credentials available to comment on any issue about which a think tank or corporation needed a negative soundbite. Crazy. But I, it's also <laughs> like, surprising. I'm not surprised. Yeah, not, not surprised surprising. at all, right? It's like there's this like Philip Morris memo that they found too, where it basically says that they had four objectives for the year. And the number one objective was to maintain that there was a controversy around whether or not cigarette smoking was bad for you right it's like they knew what they were doing yeah pretty obviously yeah. <laughs> and they knew they had to just like fight it as long as they could and i mean the crazy thing too is like eventually you know it didn't work out in the u.s but you know they just go to other countries world, yeah. right so these companies are still massive yeah and they right? still make a ton of money a ton of money they just rebrand themselves so you don't recognize the name anymore and then they just sell their stuff in other countries instead I honestly don't get how people can work at companies like that. Yeah, it's right? a good question. You know, it's like yeah. maybe if you do you just like have the, delude yourself after yeah. a little while. It's like, well, I needed a job. And then after a year, you're like, well, probably a cognitive dissonance thing. There too. has it's to like be. once you accept the job or, you know, yeah, there yeah. must be something like that. It's like if you're working in marketing at a tobacco company, right? Yeah. Like, you know what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Right? And it's also like, I don't know, the world is so complicated because it's like, where do you draw the line between that? And like, if you work at like, I don't know, Krispy Kreme and marketing. That's a good question. Krispy yeah, Kreme, yeah, right? yeah. It's like marketing at an alcohol company. Yeah, right? exactly. So like marketing at Facebook too. Yeah, right? exactly. All uh, things that make life worse. Yeah. Right? So. Well, okay. That's, and that's where you draw the line, right? It's like, or not where you draw the line, but where it gets tricky is like Facebook does make life better to an extent. But then when you overuse it, it's not good. Right. But it's like, there are some beneficial things to Facebook. Like, it's easier to stay in touch with certain people. And like, events. Messenger is cool. Events Messenger's is cool. Good. Birthdays, which like, I'm horrible at remembering people's birthdays. <laughs> That's like the main thing I use Facebook for. Yeah. Um, and I use, I like Messenger too. Messenger's yeah, Messenger is really good. Yeah. So it's like, there are definitely elements of Facebook that are bad. Like that do not make your life any better. But then yeah. there are things that do make your life easier in some ways. Right. Which is probably, I mean, why we voluntarily use it, right? We don't have to be forced to use it. Yeah. But it's addicting for sure. Yeah. And somebody who works at a tobacco company could say the same thing. Right. right? That's where well, I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you could say the same thing for like, if you work in marketing at Krispy Kreme, it's like, well, we're giving people like an occasional treat for them to enjoy. Right. It's up to them to know when they should do it or not. And you could say the same thing for alcohol, right? It's like you can easily abuse alcohol. Or you can, if you use it in moderation, it could actually be really fun and make your life better. Exactly. But that's probably how you can, I mean, I'm in the alcohol industry, so I yeah. self-delude myself <laughs> to doing that. Yeah, see, you've just got the cognitive dissonance. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're the problem, Neil. Yeah. Hey, we, we don't actually sell alcohol. We it's just true. help people create the alcohol that they want to create. Yeah. So they want to sell it. That's, that's how yeah. I've deluded myself. <laughs> I clearly do not have skin in the game on the I don't the make people take the heroin. Yeah. I just give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything. 
No, I, that's probably a good point. I, and also, that, the thing I always have to catch justify. myself on, too, is like, I definitely, despite knowing that tobacco is not really that much worse than these other things, yeah. I still have that oh, bias, yeah. right? Because I think we all grew up with it. I mean, you saw the ads. And yeah, you saw, like, you saw the, the ads. The and like D.A.R.E. program in school. Did you have that? We had dare? something like that, yeah. D.A.R.E. to resist drugs and violence. That was the. Those are the two things. Although, I, I definitely have a problem with the way the drugs and tobacco and stuff are argued against in school because there's this this kind of like argument it's like the absence that, argument yeah it's like That's the absence it argument. is literally the because nobody argument. nobody ever tells you that these things are fun yeah right <laughs> right exactly at no point in the hey don't smoke do they say hey this is gonna feel really really good if you ever try it yeah therefore be careful they just say like, oh, Which is why you should need to be careful. Exactly. That's why it gets because it's so fun. Yeah. Right. If alcohol sucked, you wouldn't have to tell people not to do it. Right. Because you would try it and be like, I'm never doing that again. That's horrible. Yeah. But, but it's really fun. It's really fun. <laughs> that's yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. It was like the first time I tried smoking, I was like, whoa, yeah. it, like nobody told me. No. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then like, you feel like you've just been lied to about like, it. Donuts taste amazing. Yeah, right? exactly. It's like if donuts tasted horrible, you wouldn't have to watch what you eat. Yeah. Like, nobody <laughs> would have to tell you, hey, don't eat donuts. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so then you, you have the realization, you're like, they were lying the whole yeah. time. This is awesome. I feel like it's worse. That's right? true. It also makes me very curious about it when yeah. the way that they teach it. It's, okay, it's kind of like almost a negative, uh, no, positive feedback loop. Positive feedback loop that's not grows on itself. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, they tell you all these things about how it's really bad and whatever, but it almost exposes you to the fact that they exist and makes you, if you have any ounce of curiosity in you, makes you very curious about what these things are like. Mm -hmm. And then you try it and enjoy it. Right. And then you're like, well, I want to do that again. Do it again. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, well, they were wrong. This is fun. Right? Yeah. I'm like, I don't see my friends dying of cancer. So obviously, like, that's not <laughs> yeah. true. Right? That's availability heuristic. Yeah. Thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it would be better to just ignore it. Right. It's kind of like, you know, dog does something that you don't want. You just like ignore them. Right. Don't give them any attention. Uh, right. Like if schools just didn't talk about drugs and alcohol at all, would use go down? I don't know. I wonder if there's county because I'm sure it's like a county, like a local thing in the U.S. So I wonder if there's like counties or school systems that just don't have it. Yeah, going and back to you can compare is like hard to do. I that's wonder, one. Yeah, because yeah, there's one so many societal impacts. Yeah, too, or like how like a uh, family makes a big difference, and but no county is going to want to be the one that risks taking yeah. out all of their yeah. <laughs> drug and tobacco <laughs> education <laughs> programs. But I, I mean, actually, the abstinence one is a good example. Yeah, it's kind it's of like, like that. Yeah, I mean, we know that teaching like safe sex instead of abstinence like is much more effective for reducing pregnancy so yeah. we taught like safe use of drugs safe use not of drugs, drugs and alcohol well and i guess also yeah that might actually maybe the, maybe part of the problem is that it is illegal right uh, yeah. because it's like look i mean if you take lsd every couple of months like you're gonna be fine right right but they can't say that right in school yeah oh so yeah because the drug itself is actually the drug itself illegal. is yeah illegal, right? so you can't say like oh marijuana like occasional marijuana use no so big totally deal fine right yeah because it's illegal right and they can't say that for tobacco and alcohol either because it's kids, illegal it's illegal yeah too right which kind of so, sucks because it's oh that's the other thing i've heard from people who are who grow up in countries where the drinking age is 18 as opposed to 21 they actually say that um they never viewed alcohol as being like in the same category as other drugs. And they were like less curious about it because it was just part of society. It's just normal. It's yeah. just normal, right? It's like not really, it's nothing to be like curious about. Yeah. Um, well, and learning how to be drunk or like what that those limits feel like, I think is pretty important yeah. too. Because there are definitely kids who like go to college and go to like, college and just like completely lose their shit freshman year because they have no idea how to interact with this substance. And that brings up another good point is like when people do get sick in college in the U S very often you don't call any kind of like medical care because it's totally, you know, wasn't there in like many schools. I think when I was a uh, freshman, I think this had been, this was like a big public debate 
around like if you call like the hospital, let's say you and I are out drinking and you get sick or something like you're passed out and I'm pretty sure you need to go to a hospital. Yeah. Like if I called the ambulance and let's say a cop comes as well, and I'm obviously under 21 as well and I'm drunk, I actually would get in trouble too. Yeah. So people would just not call medical care. They'd be like, oh, he'll sleep it off or whatever. Right. And like, that's could be really dangerous. And people have died from that. Super dangerous. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. we like, I had experiences like that multiple times in college where somebody would basically be passed out. And I think the craziest thing was that you would have to like carry them from off campus to on campus yeah. so that you could call the campus health yes, services. Exactly. Yeah, that was instead insane, right? of like, yeah. the local hospital. Right. Because you couldn't call the local hospital because then like anybody else who was there couldn't obviously like and you know, be CMU taken to court. Was, CMU was one of the, um, I don't know if it's rare or it was like not every school actually even allows their own health services to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you could still get in trouble at some schools. Yeah. for being under 21 and being drunk even if it's on campus so like your example of bringing them on campus like at cmu that was totally true because we had i think a policy of like if the it's campus like health services amnesty policy yeah yeah if you were reporting it for someone else then you, you were, were protected yeah. which is very which is great which is what they yes, should do exactly. yeah. but it's also crazy that the school has to do it yeah <laughs> it's like and the reason that exists is that they know that if they don't do that right and it's kind of illegal, probably, because they're... Oh, yeah. It's right? a violation of the, like... Because you're basically saying we're not going to... They're saying we're not going to report criminal activity. Yeah. It's like they're fully aware that some criminal activity has happened, and they're not reporting it. Yes. Which is at least an illegal gray area. Yeah. and that, But they have to do that, because otherwise, like, kids will die. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I wonder if, like, cops and policymakers, too, know that that's... I mean, they, don't, not, they must. They must know, because they otherwise must. they would fight it. Yeah. There has to just be sort of a like comfortable, you know, like we'll turn a blind eye. Yeah. Right. Because it's better for everyone if you're doing this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, how do we get on that tangent? Uh, alcohol, tobacco. <laughs> oh, tobacco. Yeah. We were talking about tobacco and secondhand smoke. Secondhand smoke. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we should definitely spend some time on global warming. Global right? warming. Yeah. We got to touch on that. Back to the book. Climate change. It's probably the big one here that we still haven't touched on because uh, they go through the hole in the ozone layer and then that starts to highlight the climate change stuff. Uh, and this is the one that's, you know, still kind of going today. Yeah. Right. There's still a surprising number of people who are at least throwing some level of doubt onto the whole climate change debate. And it's weird because in reading this book now, I feel like I see it a lot more and yeah. things that I thought were reasonable conjectures before. Now I'm kind of questioning. Yeah. Because one that I've heard that I do find a little compelling is that temperature going up a little bit is not necessarily bad. In that it's good for plant growth. Yeah. Whereas like some of the most abundant plant growth that we've had in the history of Earth were when it was warmer. Oh, interesting. Right? But now after reading this, I'm like, hmm, is that very true? Like, is that a well-researched point? Or, or is that, just is that something a... that I've heard that's part of this misinformation? Yeah, campaign, did you find right? that out or no? I haven't looked it up okay, yet. I'm was... very curious. Too. Yeah, I'm curious too. Because that was like one of the only few compelling things that I had heard yeah. in favor of it not being like that big of a bad deal. Obviously, like everything else is pretty bad. Yeah. But... The other argument that I had heard, well, I thought this is where you were going because this is another one that I'd heard, which now I'm uh, much more skeptical of. And I yeah. think they briefly alluded to it, but it didn't go into much detail. Which is like, if you increase the quantity of CO2, it may also lead to like increased plant growth, which would also, uh, which is kind of like offset then because you'd produce more oxygen. Would, through the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So because the plants would consume it. And then, yeah, I, I was like, hmm, okay. And then the argument that I'd heard is like, that stuff's not accounted for in any of the models. Like, I mean, that's a really hard second order effect to calculate, Yeah, that would right? be pretty hard. So I'd heard that, but now I'm like very skeptical of my own interpretation of that because it's like, 
you know, maybe that will contribute like 1% right. <laughs> difference, right? Which might not be... Well, that's the hard thing, yeah. with, uh, having read this book now, is that I kind of question a lot of the science stuff that I've read. Yeah. It's like I was very, I was a pretty skeptical reader of a lot of research before, and now I feel even more skeptical, where it's hard to know the balance between, because I think this book is very one-sided. Oh, right? definitely, yeah. And it's very one-sided against any disagreement on the climate science and you know, whatever. But there are probably compelling points and there might be some research that immediately gets thrown out because it goes against mm. like anything related to climate change and that's not a good position to be in either right yeah. and i feel like that's what the authors are pushing towards right that we should just immediately like ignore anything that fights the scientific consensus right because sometimes but, that could be correct exactly yeah like that's also part of how science works right it's, you know a lot of scientists you know, could just be in consensus. And uh, like, we know how little research gets. Uh... Actually, this isn't so true in the earth science. It's more psychology. Yeah, it's more like the social sciences. No, but, but... I, I think what you're trying to say is like scientists are humans too. And like, they would also be influenced by the consensus. So if like you told them this is the consensus, they might not even attempt research on the other side of it because they're yeah. like, mm, you know, I'm probably wrong. So I'm just going to ignore this idea that I have. Right. And especially if scientists are afraid to do research that might challenge the current narrative yeah. because they know that like oh it might not even get published right and you know if your whole job and potential for tenure is based on getting published and you know that this research that might show that you know some popular thing is not true you probably wouldn't do the research because you don't want to like waste all that time just right. to have it not get published well and i think the other thing that maybe wasn't as big of a debate back when this book was published mm -hmm. for like global warming and climate change in particular i think the distinction that has been made since then is like Okay, yeah, so something's happening, let's say. Like, that seems to be very much true. Yeah. But then what's causing it, right? So then, like, and right. they talk about it a bit. But, like, yeah, okay, there's probably some human component to it. But then it's, like, how much of that can you change? And in what period of time where it makes a difference, right? So there's, like, there is definitely a legitimate question there. Yeah. And then I also, the one other thing I disagreed on, um, they really downplayed the value of future technology. And I, I think if they published the book a few years later, yeah. they would have maybe taken a different opinion. You saw that? Remember that mm -hmm. chapter? They basically said that like, technology oh, technology won't save us. save us. But then like every company now is coming out with an electric car, which was ignited by Tesla for sure, that race. But like now every company is coming out with affordable electric cars. And you've got countries like Germany who said yeah. they're banning all gas vehicles. Yeah. So right? it's like, like, I mean, it's definitely moving in that direction. That technology might actually make a huge difference for yeah. us because like maybe we're way too deep in the tech <laughs> sphere but like i'm a big believer that technology can solve a lot of problems yeah. and will solve a lot of problems well and i think this is part of the other problem i had with the book is that towards the end it's like very anti-capitalist or it's saying that like look capitalism laissez-faire created these problems and it can't solve them yeah and i would say that it's true that it can't solve them directly, but it can solve them indirectly. Mm. And I think Tesla's a perfect example of that, yeah. where, you know, Tesla's not solving the gas car problem by, you know, being Prius right. and saying like, oh, like you'll feel good, right? Or like you're doing a good thing for the environment yeah. by driving this like ugly car. Yeah. Uh, they're saying like, no, you can get like the fastest car in the world, yeah. right? Oh, and, and it's really way. sexy and it's like beautiful and like the, the electric part almost doesn't even matter no right it's just like those are even benefits it's like hey like you never have to stop for gas i always right? say this about that environmental things it's like it can't be your main pitch yeah it has to be a 
oh, and by the way, this is also exactly like, it has to be an add-on. Yeah. Uber is a good example. Uber is a good example, right? Yeah. It's like we save so much gas usage by doing Uber pools right. and just like having fewer cars on the road because it's like less time at traffic, yeah. less idling, all of that. And that is also like a market solution to the problem indirectly because yeah. I think like on the whole we tend towards wanting good things for the environment but we will not change our we individual want <laughs> we want other people to do it yeah and we won't inconvenience ourselves for right it, right like i'm very honest about this like i like to recycle but if there's just a trash can nearby i'm just gonna throw it in the yeah. trash right it's too inconvenient right to go do something different than that exactly yeah, yeah. but if they're you know i'm sure that there are solutions for a lot of these things where you can make someone's life easier and help the environment and those are usually better than just saying like hey stop behaving right. this way right it's like people are going to keep behaving that right. way exactly right? it's really hard it's kind of like with the tobacco thing right it was really hard to get people to stop smoking because you know it's like in it's like in the jordan peterson book right like we don't care about ourselves right yeah. right we'll, we'll take care of our pets but not ourselves yeah you tell them that their smoking is killing their kid yeah then they're then they stop. stop yeah because that's a whole different it's a whole different, different thing story. Yeah. yeah but we're not very good at individual motivation for a lot of this stuff so i think there is an aspect of technology in the market fixing these problems but not in the direct way not in the way of like saying you know just saying like oh companies will or you know industrial plants will naturally tend towards like not destroying the environment right like right. that probably won't happen yeah but some tangential thing could come in that solves it in another way if that makes sense yeah right yeah or it's like because if you think about it, right, like, and I was talking to, uh, I know the head of sustainability at Chipotle. Oh, so cool. she and I had a really cool conversation about like how sort of business and sustainability are actually not at odds with each other. So like they changed, um, and there's an article about this online. We'll see if we can find it. They changed like the width of their straws. So like the diameter was like smaller than it previously was. So they were using less plastic, yeah. which like okay it's like 0.01 inches like smaller what difference is that going to make but they use like millions and millions of straws right so you're using that much less plastic per and they actually save money doing that too because they got charged less for those straws i mean it wasn't yeah. a ton less but it was like a Something. little bit less so her point is that there's all these like environmentally friendly changes you can make that actually save your company money too because mm. you're using less product well and actually the uh sustainable food is a good example exactly. of this yep too. that was the other example right she it's gave. like right you know i don't eat organic non-gmo whatever because i care about the environment i eat it because i know it's better for me yeah right and it's like it also happens to probably be better for the environment right. but that's not the prime motivator it's like i eat a chipotle because their food is good right, right? exactly well and that's part the of why thing. it's if good is that the ingredients are good exactly if the food sucked yeah but they were like we get all our ingredients locally mm -hmm. you would be like well that's too bad care. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not eating it right <laughs> so yeah the food has to be good yeah and then if it's like and by the way this is like all from local farms and like yeah like it makes you feel good about your choice mm -hmm. but it's more of like after the fact of making the choice right like you know what i mean like you're probably more likely to return because of that exactly yeah but, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, think was, the other thing with a lot of this stuff too, and the GMOs is a good example of this yeah. where, uh, and this came up in the rational optimist by Matt Ridley, okay. where he was like, there may be a concern about GMOs, but for, you know, the billion people that live near the brink of starvation, like they just need to eat. Yeah. And that's one of the arguments with fossil fuels too, is that, right. you know, we don't have electric tractors, right? Yeah. So you can't just turn off the fossil fuels tomorrow. Like right. we still need some of them, <laughs> Yeah. but we don't need all of them. Uh, and some of these like very, you know, kind of like carte blanche, all things are, you know, all of this thing is bad, right? It's like a little extreme. Right. And some of that, ha it has to be like tempered a little bit, which kind of goes back to the semi one-sidedness of this book where it's like all dissent against these popular 
what these scientists agree on, according to the book, is bad. Right. And I think that for these topics they're discussing, that's mostly true, but it's also kind of a dangerous attitude to hold in certain circles. Yeah. Well, and also in just to get or in certain anything, disciplines and to get like anything done too. Yeah. Right. It's like kind of like your point, you can't just turn off fossil fuels immediately. Right. It's a good thing to work towards. But at the same time, it's like every society would like collapse right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Without fossil fuels. So, yeah. And also, I do see the argument that like, I mean, I call them developing nations, but it's all relative what's a developing nation or not. But like China and India use the argument of like, they're like, well, you guys grew using fossil fuels. So now, like, as soon as other countries start challenging you, then you want to regulate off, fossil fuels yeah. for everybody else. I buy that argument, too, because it's like, yeah, we did use fossil fuels really to get here. Mm-hmm. We were, I think we were talking about that on another episode, right? Is like, could society have gotten to where it got without fossil fuels? It's like probably not, right? So I think we were talking about if like if there was ever a situation where we had to like restart, right? But without fossil fuels, like how long was it the iPhone thing? It's like yeah, it's like the iPhone thing. Yeah, it's like, how long yeah, would it take a you which to removes all everything we've ever built? Yeah, and we're just like living in the grass again. And how long would it take you to build an iPhone again? Right, assuming we keep all of our knowledge. Yeah. And it's like there's so many infrastructural things that we'd have to like go through. Right. Uh, there was another book we were reading that had something about that. that basically said that we would have to go through all the stages of civilization again. Like we couldn't skip right back to industrialization. We would need to go through like agriculture and like kind of the fiefdom model and like all of that, just because they're kind of a natural evolution. And I think that's part of the argument with the fossil fuel thing too, is that America's moving more towards clean energy, right? but you can't like skip there yeah. in a lot of cases. You can kind of with technology, but I think there is almost like a natural evolution to get to it. To get to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a big question, right? I mean, like I think in our lifetime, especially, it's going to be a continue to be a big. Yeah. Big I think question, we'll see it go down quite a bit in our life. I yeah, mean, so much. I definitely think so, too. The, the main question will be what fuels the grid, right. right? And if we can get all of that on solar, awesome. What are your thoughts on nuclear? They didn't go much into that. I would have loved to hear more about that because like, yeah, I've read a lot about that. I actually used to be, uh, I was considering up until maybe the end of sophomore year after that i didn't think about doing this anymore but i was thinking about doing a, a nuclear engineering grad school cool yeah because I, so I was chemical engineering undergrad but then i got really into like nuclear energy like reading i was reading just i think i read like a couple books about it and uh it seems like they just lost the public debate on it but i'm curious if there were like similar tactics used by fossil fuel companies oh, against them probably which i'm very curious about it's like they basically played up the risk of um like nuclear meltdown and there were a couple like chernobyl and three mile oh, island yeah. right? so it's not like they there was no risk right but i'm curious like because it is really clean especially relative to yeah, coal and anything yeah it's just like and can massive generate massive amounts of electricity i feel like you just drop a couple massive plants in the middle of Nevada where a meltdown isn't really going to hurt anyone. Yeah. And it's like, you're already radioactive from all the tests they've done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's like, fuck it. You know, why not? Uh, especially if we can run the whole thing with robots. Right? I wonder so if there is a good book about that. There's gotta be. Yeah. So there's no human there. risk. Yeah. Like, there's no human risk. Yeah. Like that could literally, it could power the whole country, power the whole country fairly easily as I understand world. it. Yeah. And I know cheaply. France has gone really deep uh, into it. Deep. India's starting to go deeper into nu- nuclear plants. And so I, I think it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's clean, uh, can generate the amounts that are needed. Cause like that's the, always the argument with solar, right? At least with the efficiency that current solar cells have, it, it would be like, I forget the, the amount of solar panels they say you would yeah, need. Yeah. So like <laughs> some absurd amount, but apparently for the amount of energy that hits the earth from the sun, oh, right. It's, it's a fairly a small area. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, of land that you need solar cells yeah. on. So as they continue to get better, right. and apparently, I think they're following roughly a uh, Moore's law. Moore's law, yeah. Oh, in terms nice. of like increased you know, amount really of energy cool. they capture, so we should get there not too far in the future. Yeah. The problem is like how will our energy consumption scale relative to the speed of solar development, right? Right. right. Because yeah, how does our consumption grow? I think this was in Rational Optimist too, where. Uh, one of the things that Ridley pointed out was like a big part of why slavery went away wasn't because it yeah. was like a big moral thing. It was just like inefficient to use <laughs> yeah. slaves, right? It was better. Because there's just... mechanization, I think, and like um, it was kind of right around the Industrial Revolution time. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. So like I actually tried to, to do have... a paper about that in one of my history classes. Oh yeah. Um, they wouldn't let you. It's not they wouldn't let me. I got strongly discouraged from looking yeah. at that. Um, I didn't know, but my hunch was that that was the case also i still don't know for sure but, but the point like i was getting was to with that was that like the amount of energy we consume now if you measured it in like human potential output it's like hundreds and hundreds of people's output per day yeah in terms of like what you and i use yeah. in our energy consumption right and so how much will that continue to go up because like our ability to multiply ourselves keeps increasing right right especially when you consider like solo entrepreneurs like running online businesses yeah and like using AWS servers and it's like there's a lot of energy that goes into that and everybody accessing it and like laptops and it's like or like crypto mining oh like yeah it's <laughs> insane so i'd be curious to see <laughs> what the relationship is between our energy consumption and solar panel speed of development right like which one's going up sharper i don't know the answer yeah i don't know the answer to that either it's an interesting question though yeah i guess we got to wrap up pretty quick here so in summary the market can't fix everything we do need some regulation. It's very helpful for things where there's really bad externalities and little initial motivation to address them. Yeah. Um, global warming is a good example. The pesticides, like destroying the environment, is a good example. Yeah. Tobacco is honestly a good example too. Yeah. You tobacco is a great example. It's a great example. It seems like a great example of actually, as I was saying earlier, like a good way to actually go about doing this. Yeah. Where it's like people still have the choice to go smoke. It's not like because I can imagine if smoking was like completely banned. It would still exist. It'd be like prohibition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like people would definitely still do it. It might make it more cool to do it if it was like totally illegal. Mm -hmm. So, but it seems like they found a good balance of that where it's like strongly discouraged. But, you know, if you really want to do it and go do it. Yeah. And now you can't do it in like bars and stuff in the same way. So like there's less externalities anyway. Yeah. Secondhand smoke. Like yep. Secondhand smoke was the really big thing. Yeah. Can't smoke on planes. It's crazy you used to be able to do that. Yeah, my mom said when she, because she hadn't really taken a plane uh, much before she came to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So on her flight over to the U.S. from India, she was like, there's somebody smoking in the row right in front of her. And she was like, it was torture. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Can't that would suck. Yeah, having to sit on like a 16-hour flight. Yeah, I think it was I think it was only one of the legs. So it was okay. like eight hours, but still, that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if really you weren't crazy. a smoker. Yeah, if you're not a smoker and you're not into that, I mean... Yeah, that would be really unpleasant. <laughs> or if you were sitting next to them. Like, at least she was one row behind. But, like, yeah, the person sitting next to them must have just been, like... Yeah, imagine a flight from, like, here to Beijing or something. And right. Just, like, smoking all the someone chain-smoking the entire flight. Well, especially if it was, like, a flight coming from Beijing. And it's, like, if everybody on it oh, was, like, yeah. Chinese and smoked the whole flight. And you were, like, <laughs> the one non-smoker. Like, oof. How do you smoke... This is a very small tangent, let's say. But, like, when people who, let's say, you smoke, like pack or two a day oh yeah how do they take long flights good question now maybe nicotine gum oh yeah or patch or something or patch yeah you might have to because yeah, otherwise you start getting withdrawal right like some people would start, start getting really uncomfortable yeah. yeah that's a good question that wouldn't be fun but uh, maybe we'll end on this quotation that i like near the end here which is uh rome may not be burning but greenland is melting and we are still fiddling 
We all need a better understanding of what science really is, how to recognize real science when we see it, and how to separate it from the garbage. That's a good quote. It's a great quotation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, people can access all the show notes on madeyouthinkpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter there where you'll, if you had already been subscribed, you would know that this episode was coming. Mm-hmm. So we let you know about episodes in advance, which is fun. Yep. You so you want to buy the book, read it. I guess it. we got to start planning episodes. Actually, well, no, because we, it takes about a month for it to get to people. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So in the newsletter that just went out this week, this was, I think, the last book on the list that I had mentioned on the, because we didn't, we don't, yeah, we just we figured out what we're, doing next, out we're doing next week. Yeah. So, which you guys will find out next week. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or you can subscribe to the newsletter. <laughs> find out sooner. Yeah. yeah. Here's your incentive. Let's see. You can leave a review on iTunes. Review on iTunes is very helpful. Very helpful. I think we should also say a few quick words about our wonderful sponsors. It's true. We should. So, who should go first this time? Amazon? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Amazon never gets to go first. Yeah. yeah. We'll go Amazon. So, All right, yeah. the easiest way for you to go support the podcast is you go to our support page although we actually we have to back up here we are not supported by amazon no amazon does not endorse this podcast no people have gotten their associate accounts banned by saying that oh really so, yeah, yeah. Okay. so you can use our link and please do go to the support page not, not please you should use you our should link. yeah you absolutely it's free should. for you it doesn't cost you anything. if you don't you have to pay twice as much for stuff which sucks uh <laughs> if you don't this podcast costs money no yeah, exactly. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> start charging you guys yeah, absolutely uh, not but yeah uh, made you think podcast.com slash support you can click through to amazon buy anything there we get a cut of it uh, you don't pay anything extra everyone's happy everyone wins yep. and then, so buy the books there buy, the books, buy, buy photography equipment buy your emergency supplies buy your family ipads yeah that's great <laughs> gifts. great way to help this yes. show <laughs> casual ipads <laughs> i think amazon does luxury goods now so you know you can buy a louis vuitton bag yeah if you need some clothes or bags or <laughs> shoes watches. watches uh just make sure you use the link yeah you could buy like a puppy or something <laughs> there do they have a pet store no but that would be awesome you can buy toys How for your dog show up at your house like i don't know you can <laughs> open up like the amazon box and they're just like they, they just like they knock at your door and they pull it out of one of those fresh boxes you know <laughs> it's like uh here's your groceries and your puppy <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so <laughs> next one next um, one uh perfect keto so for all of your keto related needs if you're curious and experimenting with that diet definitely recommend the exogenous ketones i like the coffee flavor and the mct oil powder is particularly good i like the matcha they also have a new mct oil which is great if you want some medium chain triglycerides in your diet great for overall health really good for like a very satiating bit of calories in the morning if you want to put it in your coffee you can apparently also use it in your hair it makes your hair really hmm. nice so if you're it's on it makes sense because isn't coconut oil coconut oil is really good for your hair too isn't, yeah isn't mct a, is derived from yeah. coconut oil yeah okay well this because mct is just what medium chain triglycerides, triglycerides yeah yeah and they usually get it from coconut oil right so and that's why so coconut, coconut oil, oil is, is a is an mct yes right so yeah but coconut oil is like not a it's not like it's uh, not pure mct yes it's exactly. like a mix right? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's what i figured so, uh, but yeah, you can use MCT's coconut oil in your hair if you're on that no shampoo life. Nice. Highly recommend. You use coconut oil in your hair? I have not tried it oh, yet. I was going to ask like how, it, how it works. But. Yeah, yeah. I th- Adil actually said that he tried it because he's on okay. no shampoo. Yeah, I know he too. is. Yeah. He texted me about it. It's true. Are you on no shampoo I'm yet? not. Oh, not yet. I know. <laughs> this, this, is my, this is my life's work <laughs> now. Just get just everyone off shampoo. Adil actually texted me thinking that I do it. Yeah. And he was like, how does it work for like uh, thicker, like black hair? Because <laughs> he and I have like somewhat similar types of yeah, hair, basically. Yeah. 
because you have that like pure Scandinavian looking hair. <laughs> Ultra fine. Ultra fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm actually not on it. He's like, oh, I thought you were on it. <laughs> if you're a friend of Nat, you're yeah. not allowed to use shampoo. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a rule. The Nat, number, like, the number of text shit, messages man. I've gotten from people who have questions about not... I, I get more questions about that than I think like anything else I've written about. <laughs> I, I swear at least half of my guy friends are either doing it or have tried it. Yeah. Like, what would make people go back is just that two weeks of like suckiness that happens. I've heard some guys have issues with their hair starting to smell. Okay. And you said that in the article though. Yeah. Well, it's like sometimes your oh, hair can long. smell and sometimes it doesn't go back from being oily. But I think that the main reason it doesn't go back from being oily is if you don't do the cold rinse in the oh, shower. Nice. I think the cold rinse is kind of like necessary because that seems to be the big defining factor in whether or not it works for people. If you just use hot water, then I think it like strips the oils too much. And so it has to like reproduce the oil constantly. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how the mechanics work. With- yeah, I've just noticed myself too. If I just take hot showers for a while, my hair gets oilier. Uh, so also if you don't sleep enough it'll get oily you've got to be like you got to have everything really else cool. in that makes that makes a difference well, that's yeah. the thing is like if you stop using shampoo your hair becomes a barometer for your health huh like it'll be very obvious if you haven't been sleeping or like haven't been eating well maybe that's why we pay so much attention to people's hair well that was my argument in the article too yeah. is that all what shampoo does is it forces your hair into the state it would be in if you were living healthy huh. right and so it allows you to have nice hair despite like not sleeping and eating like shit and you know like smoking and whatever right so if you go off of it, like then, you know, you have to like live right or else it's going to look crappy. Yeah. Right. That's pretty cool, though. It kind of forces you. It almost forces you to live right because you're like, well, if I don't get enough sleep, my hair's going to look like shit. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's like it's like a lot of things, right? I yeah. mean, a lot of women's makeup, too. It's oh, either to make them look healthy no, or not like even not even they're maybe. having sex. Definitely. Yeah. It's like yeah. one of those two things. Yeah. So it's like hair as well. Yeah. But, that's really cool. Well, yeah. I guess shampoo is almost a form of makeup. And stuff kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's a cosmetic. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I guess body odor too, right? Like deodorant. Like deodorant. Although I guess like body odor isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's how we like sniff each other out. Yeah, it depends on the type of body odor. Yeah, well, well I oh, guess what Peterson I'm saying Peterson even is talked like, about that in his book too. Remember he said uh, there was a smell of the unemployed. Oh, Or yeah, unemployable, yeah. not unemployed. Unemployable, yeah. That was what he said the social worker told him about uh, Chris, his friend. Right. Right, it's like he had this weird body odor. Weird odor and then odor. the social worker told him that like a lot of people like chris smell like that who are just yeah. really like down and depressed and like out of must be some like pheromonal projection of being like a loser quote yeah, yeah something like that mm-hmm. kind of sad but but if you also you know want to keep up your health we recommend some kettle and fire bone broth yes that's a cr- kettleandfire.com slash thing is collagen in it right it does have collagen your skin you could also put that in your hair i don't know if it'll do anything but <laughs> you could dogs are probably uh, really like how you smell <laughs> uh actually dogs love the bone broth that's what too. i'm saying yeah no, no i was saying if you if you oh, rinse your hair yeah. with kettle and fire <laughs> just to be clear we're not advocating this necessarily hey, you could use it for that could, yeah why it's not, not gonna hurt probably. it's not gonna hurt no it's just might give you a weird odor for yeah your exactly hair, you're but... gonna smell like beef yeah. i guess but uh yes so you can use that in your cooking you can drink it straight all kinds of good things in it uh slash get, think right yeah slash think slash percent off or so yeah well more even more, more actually up to 30 percent so. off if you buy more of it and so. free shipping yeah well, you've got so. long hair go for the large package <laughs> I guess Justin, your product is a cosmetic now. Yeah, so. it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> All right. And then last but not least, uh foursigmatic.com slash think. Get your mushroom coffee. Are we also advocating to put this in people's hair. <laughs> this one I think you'd have the hardest time getting any hair benefits from. <laughs> you never know. Never know. <laughs> if you if you want to try it, let us know. Maybe cordyceps makes your hair like really perky or something perky, yeah or, i don't know like <laughs> mushrooms it's it's all natural right so it must be good 
Yeah. I think that, that's, that, how that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you so could also tobacco, drink it. Tobacco is really natural. natural. Yeah. yeah. So and... I don't know if that argument works so well. But um, All right. Yeah. But mushroom coffee. Delicious. Uh, I've made it a big part of my morning routine, uh, although I don't have it right in front of me right now. I have a regular. I got to order some more. Different, well, I got to order some more, too. I ran out in my apartment. As Using well. code think. Yes, definitely. Maybe Cordyceps is very good. The Rishi mushroom elixir, also delicious. Yeah, I find, I mean, my favorite is the mushroom coffee because yeah. it's like, I love the taste of coffee and I think a lot of other people do. So like anytime I've tried to like reduce my coffee intake and I try to switch to tea or black tea, like, you know, you get good caffeine hit still, but it's not, don't not get the, the same, same taste. Yeah. Yeah. Mushroom coffee taste. tastes like coffee. There's a bit of a mushroom flavor, which is actually, you know, surprisingly like it. good. It yeah. tastes very good. But it has only basically the same amount of caffeine as a cup of tea. Uh, so you don't get that jittery caffeine energy, but you get, uh, you, you're still energetic and then the mushrooms make you focused. Yeah. So I find it's nice. really good to work, drink mushroom coffee and then work. And no real like crash or anything off of it too, which is great. And cordyceps, that's like a pre-workout. Yeah. It's right? what, yeah. You can use it as a pre-workout yeah. or for a just like non-caffeinated boost. Yeah. Right? So it, it's good for focus, energy, everything. I've been using uh, it for pre-workouts no sometimes. And, yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, then there's the Rishi ones for, like for sleep. Yep, the hot nice. cocoa is so good. Oh, it's so tasty. Yeah, yeah. Actually, like have some hot cocoa, put some heavy cream in it yep. if you're doing keto, uh, or you can put in some <laughs> MCT oil. Keto, if you're not doing keto, it's really yeah, good. It's still really good. It's like a nice creamy hot chocolate that will just Great knock dessert. you out. Such yeah. a good dessert. Like, and yeah. it's like a zero. It's like a no risk dessert too. There's almost no sweetener in it. Yep. Just a little stevia. Yep. Uh, cocoa and powder. Heavy cream is good. Yeah, and some cocoa powder, which is zero calorie. Right. It's not sweetened. So. Yeah. Just and it adds a good flavor to it. And, and you got the reishi mushrooms. Yeah. So okay. definitely go order some of that. And, and uh, uh, yeah. yeah, leave a review on iTunes. Tell your friends, tell your family, buy stuff on Amazon, stop using shampoo. <laughs> that one was and, directed at me. Now was looking right at me. I was looking like, right at him. And he nodded. He's like, stop using shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> well, see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.